1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 has been our go-to scriptures for the month of September. And Pastor Zach and Pastor Scott both spoke eloquently on this portion of scripture. And, and you would think, well, what else can you find to say? Well, that's the neat thing about the Bible. You can always find something new if you will look for it. But that verse simply says, and it'll help if I go there. It's amazing how these things work if we do them right. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And then he goes on to talk about prophecy and all of those things. But I was thinking, we need to have a clear understanding of why Paul even wrote the letter to Corinth in the first place. Paul had gone there. Great outpouring of God's power and God's spirit came upon the region around Corinth and Ephesus and all of those areas. And many, many, many were brought to the Lord and many were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the issue comes that these who had come in from that territory were idolaters. Their lives had been spent mostly in the worship of Diana. And therefore, all of these letters or all of these areas of letters, Paul is answering questions that he received from them while he was away from them. So if you talk about chapter 7 and 8, he's talking about uh, divorce. He's talking about remarriage. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about living celibate. He's talking about all of these things because they were a major issue among idolaters just as they are today. He goes into chapter 11 and he brings up this whole issue of hair. And I grew up in a denomination that made that a great issue. That a woman shouldn't cut her hair because to cut your hair meant it was shorn. And in that particular denomination I grew up in, rather than use scissors, they used irons. Because if you burn it off, you're not cutting it off. And some of you are laughing. But when you look at it, please, I'm doing a preaching. When you look at it properly, it's stretching it. And it's, it's making, in essence, your customs are making even the law of no effect. But that's how they did. But the issue never was about whether he had long hair or short hair. The issue was that the idolaters from the temple of Diana had no hair. Male and female shaved every hair off of their bodies, including eyelashes. It was a part of worship to Diana, and it was a part of so-called cleansing so they could have totally immoral acts in the temple of Diana. And it was a disaster, and what Paul was facing was all these customs and cultures coming into the New Testament church and having to set them in order and help them understand this is not the way we do things. In fact, that area of Scripture in chapter 11, he ends that talk about it by saying, but if 
if anybody's contentious about this thing, we don't have these customs in the house of God. We don't have a custom as to whether your hair's long or a man's hair's long or a man's hair's short or a woman's hair's long or a woman. I, I heard a preacher preach one time and it was very astute how long is long. And so they get tied up in these. So what Paul is trying to relate here, and then he goes into chapter 12 and talking about the body. And he's relating it as a body so that it can understand we are all part of one another. We are better together. And in fact, if one of you hurt, all of us will hurt in some way. But if we're all blessed and we're all rejoicing, then we all get to rejoice together. So he takes chapter 12 and he expresses to us these things are going on. And then he mentions the, 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 the issue of giving us apostles and prophets, giving us administrations, telling us this is how this body is supposed to work. And again, he's talking to people who have come out of extreme idolatry and he's laying out an order in how they can have an effective ministry and an effective time in the presence of God and fellowshipping together one-on-one. -on -one. And so he gives us chapter 12. Then he flips into 13, and he goes into this thing about, now if you have prophecy and you don't have love, you're clanging brass, tinkling cymbals, you're just a loud mouth. And most of us know loud mouths get obnoxious pretty quick. And especially if they don't have love. Even loudmouths who love still get obnoxious pretty quick. So he's trying to get us to understand how to love one another appropriately and speak honestly and rightly. He goes into chapter 14, then he lays out, now this is the order in the house. If we're all together, this is how we do it. In that particular portion in chapter 14, he makes the statement, you come together, somebody's got a psalm, somebody's got a hymn, somebody's got a spiritual song, another one's got a prophecy, and another one's got a prophecy, and another one's got a prophecy, and then we got three or four that have tongues and interpretation, and they're just throwing them out there at random. And he says, this is not the way you do things. And so he lays out an order on how things will operate within the house that will be beneficial and edify or build up the entire church. And that's why we're looking at this portion of Scripture here. And now abide. Both of them covered the issue of abide. In dwelling presence of God. Now abide. From the outside in has come the very essence of faith, hope, and love. And it's interesting because as we look at this today, what you're going to see as well is the part about when I did kingdom teaching, remember the kingdom principles? For the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And in that teaching, we went into John where Jesus was saying, so that when I go away, I'll come back. And then myself and my Father will come in with the Holy Comforter that I'm sending you, and we will make our abode. We will abide in you. We're going to live in you. And you become one with the Father. That's why Jesus said we've got to become one even as he and the Father are one. He is tearing down the veil 
and breaking open the barriers that allowed us to come to the Father has given us the, the privilege to become one with him and one with the Father and one in the Holy Spirit. And that's a tremendous benefit if we can catch it properly. So now abide faith. I want you to see this in faith. Romans 4 and verse 5, tremendous scripture that God has given us if we will look at them correctly. Romans 4 and verse 5. I'll get there. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now remember what I said about faith, hope and love, righteousness, peace and joy. You'll see how that faith is exactly parallel with righteousness. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you're not going to be righteous because righteousness is right standing with the Father. So what he's showing us is how these things work all as one. They're just different examples of the same truth. Faith. Mark eleven twenty two says, have the faith in God, or have faith in God. Now, we, you can also translate that appropriately. Have the God kind of faith. Let the faith that God operates in operate in and through us. Have God faith. He's speaking to us so that we can grasp the whole essence of who he is because when we have faith, we walk in righteousness or we walk in right standing with God. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have the Father in us. When we have the Father in us, we have Jesus in us. We don't deny any of the Trinity. We don't deny them at all. And yet we do speak that they are one. That's why you can say here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he's ministering to our hearts in this truth on a regular basis. Faith. Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul is speaking and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. If we're going to operate righteously, faith has to be paramount in our work and in our walk. We have to believe that he is God, that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Which is why Jesus said, when you ask in my name, believe, and you receive. That's why we talk about when we say, all right, Lord, I believe. Therefore, I open my heart and I receive what I've declared that I believe. So I operate in faith. I speak in faith. I function in faith. I walk in faith. And in walking in faith, I'm also walking in righteousness. 
And that's why on my even my worst day, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because my faith is in him. My faith is in the salvation work. My faith is in the holy work of God. My faith is in the power of the Holy Spirit. My faith is in all of God working in and through us in this life. So we have faith in God, therefore we operate in righteousness. Then comes hope. These three abide, faith, hope. Hope is a tremendous thing if you understand it. Acts 2 and verse 25 Speaking of David, for David says concerning him, God, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Now, I'm going to tell you, you probably ought to highlight that verse right there. In the days that we're in right now, we need to know we will not be shaken. It's imperative to understand this truth in what is going on in our world around us. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. When he says my tongue was glad, it didn't mean that it was glad because I had uh, steak and eggs. It was glad because I had the Lord. My tongue was glad, therefore I will rejoice. He's speaking of the tongue being used to rejoice. The same thing is true in uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. My tongue. The reason God uses the tongue is because it is a symbol of the full victory and possession of Holy Spirit in our lives. Therefore, we speak in tongues. People who try to say, well, yeah, but, you know, you don't always do it. Yes, we do. We sing in the Spirit and we talk in the Spirit. Whichever way it goes. We sing in the understanding and we talk with the understanding. But we're all doing it in the right order because God is part of and And, he, and Paul said, don't forbid anybody to speak in tongues. But in the house, in the church, there's an order to that. Outside of the church, you can speak in tongues and ought to be praying in the spirit all the time. Why do I do that? Well, it's not hard once you learn to under your breath. Now, I don't recommend if you're in an office job that you suddenly bust out praying in tongues. Don't recommend that. But you might lose your job in doing so. We even had a child one day. We got a call from her mom, and she got in trouble at school because she had been baptized in the Holy Ghost on the weekend. I think she was about 10 or 11 and she was in her classroom, and the Holy Ghost just was all over. And she hadn't, she really hadn't come down from Sunday when, when she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, she's not thinking. She's praying, and, and she's praying in the Spirit. Now, she's not praying loudly like I'm talking, but she's praying loud enough that the class all heard her. And, of course, the teacher kind of, you know, they got a little upset about that. But this child's still living for the Lord today, and she's grown and has kids of her own that are grown now. 
And the Holy Spirit has kept her in all of her life because even as a child, she wasn't afraid. And we have been telling you, and people have been prophesying, our classrooms are going to get inundated by the presence of God, not because they've invited him in a special way, but because he wants to invade the hearts of the children. You think the enemy's got it in for the kids, which he does, but God loves them more. God loves the kids. He's reaching out to the children. He's going to make these things happen. What we want to be doing is we want to be praying for the teachers and administrators for the protection of the Holy Spirit over them and for the guidance of the Lord in them so that they can help facilitate what God wants to do in the precious hearts of precious kids. Because we are not relinquishing our children to the nonsensical hell that has come on them in their classrooms and in their schools. And we've got great teachers who need our support and make sure they know that we're praying for them. Matter of fact, I would encourage life groups. Each life group needs to adopt a teacher that's a part of our church and take them on as a prayer partner and giving so that they can have resources. That Because of all crazy things, the government of America spends more money on education, but the teachers get less in the classrooms. So we're going to take hold of that. Because, you see, we're going to walk in faith. Faith tells us there's an answer to this thing, and it's not in the government solutions. It's not in political solutions. It's in us. And the hope of this world is in Jesus Christ, not Trump, not uh, DeSantis, not anybody in flesh. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. He will use people. Listen, he used a donkey to stop Balaam. He's used a few donkeys in my life in politics. And I'm not talking about a Democrat donkey. I mean just donkeys in general. And you can use the other word if you want to that starts with Jack. But he's using them, and it has to be understood. God is, will use anything and anybody to produce what his will is and get it done. And so if our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in the Holy Spirit, our hope is in the Father, then we have peace. Remember, faith, hope, righteousness, peace. So what is what? What does uh, Acts say here? I will, my flesh will rest in hope. And in Hebrews, Paul writes, or Luke writes, rather, he writes all of these times about resting. For God tells us it's our time to rest. Now, that doesn't mean we just sleep all day, every day. It means we rest in our heart having hope. Now, the scripture says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But God doesn't defer our hope. Well, it hasn't come like I thought. That didn't mean God deferred your hope. It means you're in a trial to determine, do you really hope? And are you going to hold to that hope properly? So, so he goes on and he says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is actually Jesus talking. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Righteousness, peace, 
and joy, faith, hope, and love. Romans chapter 5, we get this wonderful portion of Scripture again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice, there's that word again, in hope. We have access to God. We have peace with God through the hope that is in us of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because it's an attribute of God. Hope is a product of God. It's a manifestation of God's presence, causing us to hope for that which we know we will receive. And we will have it in due time, and all we have to do is trust God and know that he knows what due time is. So we hope, and therefore he says, so perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us faith, hope, and love. Love. And what did I just read you? For the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 1 John 4 tells us some phenomenal things if we'll grasp it. Verse number 7 or 8. Let's, just, let's do 7 as well. Sorry about that. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this was the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him, and in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we move toward this time of life groups, I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, Guillermo Maldonado in Miami, but Apostle Maldonado, his church has uh, home groups, and it exploded years ago when they first started because the essence of it all was the love of God working. Even to the point that one young man, a teenager, got saved in a service at Maldonado's church one night. So anointed was he when God got a hold of him in that service. 
And he had been listening, and he had been coming, and he knew how they were operating these groups. I wish I, wish I could remember what they called them. Any of you remember? Okay, anyway, whatever they called their groups. So this kid decided, well, I can do that. So he goes home. He gets a hold of some of his buddies, how many, six or eight of them. He brings them over to his house. He tells them what happened to him. They all give their heart to the Lord in his living room. And then within a matter of days, he has another bunch of kids in there. And he starts his, his first week, his testimony on the Sunday of how his group was going was they had over 50 kids loving Jesus coming together, and each one of those kids was going from there, and they were having their groups, and their groups were seeing kids saved in the same manner. Because you see, when the Holy Spirit grabs somebody, he will take care of that somebody because it's his person. It's his place. It's his possession. He wants this to happen. Therefore, you, get, you don't have to get, well, but he didn't have time to train. What does the Holy Spirit do with us? Leads, guides, in order, yeah, but what if they mess up? What if they do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Corrects, loves, and guides. And he does that. And the neat part about it is just in our life groups. If somebody gets a little off track, we've got people who will love them back on the track, who will work with them to get them back on track and see that God's glory is manifested in this way. Because it's the love of God that has been given to us shed abroad in our hearts that will change the world around us. Political programs, religious programs, are not going to change this world. Big events will have an effect, but they will not affect change to the degree we're talking about. Because when we get down to the big event, you've got the same handful of people that you went with, that you're in love with, that God loves and you love, and that you're joined together. But when you leave that event, you've still got the same group of people. Did any of you ever go to church camp as kids? How long after you left church camp did all that excitement wane? Weeks, months, but did it wane? In other words, did it get calm again? And you come back to church, and when, you, we, got, when we got back to church, it wasn't very long, and we started hearing the adults saying, well, they're just excited because they've been to camp, but they'll give them a week, and they'll settle down. And the adults would talk us out of the joy that we so celebrated. They would. Now, in my case, in my buddy's case, we ended up with seven or eight of us became preachers. But the whole time we were teenagers, our grandmas and moms bet on how long we'd last from week to week. Now, you think I'm kidding. Well, I don't know if he'll make it past tonight. And usually I didn't. Because you see, in our denomination, if we said a bad word, we are already done. You know, 
if we take off and we go somewhere we shouldn't have gone because we were ordinarily going to go there, now we've lost out with everything. And when the Lord grabbed my heart at a bar in Springfield, Illinois one night and said, what are we doing here? I realized they lied to me. Because he had been with me the whole time. He had loved me through the whole issue. He had cared for me the whole time things were going on, and he kept me in all my, he kept me alive when I should have been killed more than one time. Truthfully, caught between two cars crashing together, and he flipped me up in the air like I was, fell off a telephone pole. He saved my life. Why? In the midst of my ignorance, God's love overcame my ignorance and my self-will, and he loved me through to glory. He did. I didn't have people who wanted to because they were too worried about was I keeping the rules? Was I doing it all the right way? Did I have the right order? But when I found out if we don't worry about those things, we still have order because Holy Spirit is a God of order. And He will keep us in the right place if we know the truth. Because if you know the truth... The truth will make you free. Often it's misquoted. Know the truth and the truth will set you free is not what it says. The truth will make you free. The truth will be like you being in a prison cell. The door's open and you know you're free, but you don't walk out of it. He comes in. He grabs you by the hand. He says, come with me. And he pulls you out and walks you out of the prison cell into the freedom just like he did Peter and John, Paul and Silas. And he walks you out of that prison cell into the victory that he has for you. Love does that because it's the love of God. And if the love of God starts working fully in you and I, we'll never again be comfortable just with a small group of friends. Instead, we'll be reaching out to everybody we can who comes into this house and whoever we see around the town. Because his love compels us to one another. His love pushes us out of our comfort zone. If we'll receive his love, if we'll understand his love, if we'll walk in his love, then he will carry us through. And now hope that does not disappoint is because the love of God is poured out in us by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in our move in this next month of October, we're in the last quarter of the year 23. And people are waiting. Well, we, we got to wait till 24. Why? Why? Why do we have to wait anymore? Every time I turn around, somebody says, well, he's going to. He already is, people. If you look at what's happening in the world around us, God is moving in phenomenal ways. I forget which European country it is right now, but they have totally removed the whole woke nonsense from the public arena, and I think it was the UK started doing it. Huh? Was the UK? And others are following suit. The Prime Minister of Italy has said, this is not going to go on in our country. She is one dynamo of a person and says, we're not having this anymore. 
Our schools are not going to be porn shops for, for predators. Our schools are going to be safe zones for kids. We've got to have that same mindset in America, but she has that mindset because she's a born-again child of God who loves God. We have people who God is putting into offices around the world who love him, and they're setting their foot down and saying enough is enough. And we're not having this. Why? Because the love of God has compelled us to get out of our comfort, get out of ourselves, and move into the greatness of his glory and see his power manifested in the earth around us. So these things, these three abide. Faith, hope, and love. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Because when you have love, you have joy. If you don't have love in your house, there ain't no joy. If you think that old expression, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, is just an expression, you haven't been married long. Because the reality is, is if my love's not operating appropriately, neither will hers. But if it is, then we have joy and peace and righteousness and hope and faith by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives. So what we're doing now is we're moving ourselves toward this place of joy and joyful celebration with one another. This ought to be the happiest place in all of Cape Girardeau, every time we walk in the doors. It should be. We ought to be happy. We ought to be sharing with one another. Man, guess what the Lord did today? I like to hear what you have to say. I had a friend down in Jackson, Tennessee, was mowing his grass, and a truck lost control, ran up and crashed his stone pillars as it came into his yard and knocked him flying off his lawnmower. And he said he was just skin up and bruised a little bit, but he's in good shape. And that truck was a disastrous looking thing sitting in his yard. And not only him, but a car which tried to avoid him crashed into him as well, but it didn't hit my friend Frank. See? The love of God, the hand of God, the protection of God. So we've got a man who is celebrating joyfully that he wasn't killed. And he's got all these people who are saying, man, thank God. Man, thank God. Boy, we're so glad. We're glad you're not hurt. We're glad. Oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. On and on and on. Because it's God's love. And he's calling us to, to do this thing, even in this life groups. You say, well, I don't know where to go. Now, let me tell you, if you're a life group leader and you're watching online or you're sitting here, or if you're thinking about being a life group leader somewhere along the way, you need to talk to Pastor Chad. It's our responsibility to, to invite people, new people, different people, even as we start here in church, invite them to your life groups. We had the sign-up thing on Sunday, and that, that was neat, but it wasn't very effective. To be honest with you, it really wasn't very effective because a lot of people just ignored it. 
So we need to start inviting you to come to a life group. I'll invite you to come to Adrian's life group. I'll invite you to come to uh, Tom and, and uh, Melinda Jester's life group. I'll invite you, help me out, I'll invite you to come Larry and, and, uh, Larry and Tina Hagen's life group. going to be a great time. But you need to get to know them and meet them and start saying, and, and to uh, Amanda's life group. Amanda wasn't here Sunday because she was in Branson suffering for Jesus teaching in a women's meeting and telling me about going to Paula Dean's and Famous Dave's and Mel's Diner and all kinds of places. But she's got a life group, and she is a premier teacher. And I'm telling you, you ought to get a hold of getting in Amanda's life group because she can teach some stuff. This is a time that we can finally come together greater than we ever have as a church. And Sherry and I have been here, what, nine or ten years now. And I've never seen an opportunity as favorable as it is right now for us to do that. But I'll tell all of you who are in my age category, you got to get out of your head and get into your heart. And say, let's do it. Let's find a way to operate and make this happen. Let's be the greatest cheerleaders of our next generation that has ever been on the planet. Because in, as I told you about my childhood and my teenage years, and even in our younger years in ministry, we had very few cheerleaders in the next generation above us. They were more or less looking at us like, well, I wonder how long this is going to last. But I'm going to tell you this is going to last because we're going to cheer it through in every way possible to see God's glory, and we've got to start doing that. And I can see some of your faces. You're already not happy with me, but you'll get glad again. That's the neat thing about being a preacher. Most everybody gets glad again. Some don't. Some won't ever talk to me. I don't think that's going to happen here. Maybe some online might, but they won't talk to me anymore. But God's still faithful. Do you agree? And now abide, indwells, faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest is love. Chapter 14, verse 1, the first part of it says, so pursue love. Pursue love one for another. Pursuing love means that we operate in the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit properly because of love. Because we're not just going to sound off with a prophecy that sounds good and makes people happy. But we're gonna, it's going to be filled with Holy Spirit's love to touch the hearts of the people around. I'm talking to you the way I am tonight because I love you, and I love this house, and I love our pastors, and I know what God is doing. And you need to understand, I'm not on staff here. 
Pastor Zach and myself are friends, and I'm a pastor to him. So I advise, but I have no decision-making power whatsoever. But I definitely want to see us move in this place we are right now and see the glory of God begin to miraculously touch hearts. How many of you have been excited lately on our Sunday morning services? Well, that's good. That's about 10%. That's probably how many tithe too. Hey, I'm testing your love. I want to see how your love language works. We've been having some tremendous time, just like Sunday morning pastor was over here worshiping, and he made this statement. I just about busted down crying because it was like they had been listening to everything I was doing toward the message for Sunday morning, and it all flowed, and that's been happening every Sunday for a long time. Let the love of God shine out of our hearts into this world around us and see people come to Jesus and be totally, completely delivered and made whole in Jesus' name.